Welcome to Episode 6 in Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of this series. Revisions to this series are part of the AIC's continuing celebration of the start of its second decade on the web. In Episode 4, I reviewed the five common literary characteristics of the seven letters, If you've not already viewed episode 2, which includes my primer on numerology in Revelation, I urge you to do so, since understanding how John used numerology is critical to understanding this series of programs on Revelation. In this episode, I will discuss the fourth and fifth letters, those to the church at Thyatira and the church at Sardis. The last letter in chapter 2 is the one to the church at Thyatira, now Akisar, Turkey. It was an inland commercial city well known in the region. In the New Testament context, it was the home to Lydia, the seller of purple, meaning fabrics dyed with the essence of a mollusk and sold only by Phoenicians, who is mentioned in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Lydia was the first Gentile convert to Christ in the western region of Asia Minor, and St. Paul wrote that, quote, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. After she and her family were baptized at Philippi in Macedonia, she invited St. Paul and his traveling party to stay in her home. The illustration is a first-quarter 20th century map of Asia Minor under the rule of the Greeks and Romans with the location of Thyatira circled. The letter to the church at Thyatira found in Revelation chapter 2 verses 18 to 29. The illustration throughout this sequence is a circa 1890 A.D. engraving of Akisar Thyatira, with the towers of mosques and the remains of the churches visible. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I will give to each one of you according to your works." Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. 
and he who overcomes and keeps my works till the end to him i will give power over the nations he shall rule them with a rod of iron they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as i also have received from my father and i will give him the morning star he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches the letter began with the same form of greeting to the angels of the church and revelation of the identity of the one sending the message as the son of god in the letter to Thyatira, the sender is identified using a phrase from the vision of the glorious man from Daniel 10.6, which John used in chapter 1, verse 15, is revelation of the vision of the one like the Son of Man, when he speaks of one whose eyes are like a flame of fire and feet of fine brass. The assessment of the state of affairs at Thyatira begins with another demonstration of divine power an acknowledgment that he knows of their love, service, faith, and patience, and that their love is greater than their patience. The accusation is that they allowed the self-labeled prophetess Jezebel to teach false doctrine and seduce my servants into both sexual immorality and eating of foods offered to idols. The reference to Jezebel in verse 20 alludes to the corrupt Phoenician woman who was the wife of King Ahab I and who worshipped idols. And for more on that in the Old Testament, see 1 Kings 16 verses 29 to 34 and 2 Kings chapter 9. The Old Testament Jezebel was thrown to stray dogs who ate all but her skull and palms. The scene is depicted in a late 19th century engraving by Gustave Doré from his Grand Bible du Tours, published at Paris and London in 1866 A.D. The English-language version is commonly called Doré's English Bible. The first century Jezebel's claim to be a prophetess most likely means she was a member of the group labeled the Nicolaitans in the letters to Ephesus and Pergamos. In verses 21 and 22, Jezebel and her followers are offered the chance of repentance which Jezebel rejects. The retribution that is promised, Jezebel on her sickbed and the death of her children, is a spiritual rather than a literal punishment. The children referred to most likely mean her followers and not her actual biological children. The issue is clarified in verse 23b when the voice using psalm-like language, reminds these offenders that they cannot hide from the God who, quote, searches the minds and hearts, unquote, and will reward or punish based upon your works. The suggestion of corrective action is directed to those in Thyatira who are not followers of Jezebel and the Nicolaitans or who have not known the depths of Satan. To them he promises reward to, quote, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, in verse 24b. To those nations who do not keep his works, he promises justice, echoing the words of Psalm 2, verse 9, thou shalt bruise them with a rod of iron and break them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
In the closing promise, the voice promises to give them the morning star in verse 28, which is an allusion to Christ himself. Elsewhere in the New Testament, he is called the day spring from on high in Luke 1, and the true light in John 1, verse 9. The fifth letter, which begins chapter 3, is addressed to the church at Sardis, 30 miles southeast of Thyatira and 50 miles directly east of Smyrna. It was once known for its formidable fortification or citadel atop a high hill. Control of Sardis had changed several times in the centuries before Christ, having been ruled by the empires of the Lydians, the Persians, the Greek, and then the Romans. Its most prominent remains are the Temple of Artemis, or Diana, and a recently discovered 2nd century synagogue, where Ephesus is known as the Loveless Church, and Smyrna, the Persecuted Church, and Thyatira, the Corrupt Church, Sardis is often called the Dead Church. Melito, bishop of Sardis in the early 2nd century and a contemporary of Polycarp and Irenaeus, was the first known defender of St. John as the author of Revelation. Now here is chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The illustration for this series is a photograph of the remains of the Temple of Artemis Diana by Dick Oseman, used with his permission. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. One of the early church martyrs, Justin Martyr, in the middle of the second century, just fifty or so years after John wrote Revelation, wrote that the seven spirits of God in verse 1 refers to the sevenfold spirits from Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 3, which reads, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. The significance of the seven stars was revealed in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, as the angels are guardians of the seven churches. 
The illustration is a 16th century fresco of Justin at Stavronikita Monastery, painted by Theophanes the Cretan between 1545 and 1546 A.D. Divine knowledge is demonstrated again in this letter in the first two verses. He not only knows their works, but says they are alive but dead. Dead means spiritually dead, or as the voice says in verse 2b, I have not found your works perfect before God. The area, like much of Asia Minor, had fallen under the influence of pagan forces. One of the major sites at Sardis is the Temple of Artemis or Diana. The voice continues with a suggested corrective action that includes the threat, hold fast and repent, or he will come like a thief in the night. The phrase concerning the thief who comes in the night reflects John's understanding of Jesus' statement in Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44, concerning a thief who comes in the night and concludes with the message, Therefore also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Having issued a threat, Jesus offered a twofold promise. Those at Sardis, whom Jesus commends, quote, not defiled their garments in verse 4a, and promises they will walk with him in priestly white garments, which are a symbol of purity and holiness, and which is a promise which will be used again in the letter to the Laodiceans. Here again, John is calling up images from the prophets, in this case Zechariah, who described Joshua the high priest in Zechariah 3, verses 3 and 4, as wearing filthy garments. As in previous letters to Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamos, those who are faithful to the apostolic doctrine are called overcomers and are promised that not only will they not be blotted out of the book of life, but their names shall go before God the Father and his angels. The term book of life was first referred to in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, and is referred to in Psalm 87, verse 6, The Lord shall record it when he writeth up the peoples. In the Gospel of St. Luke, Jesus says, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven in Luke 10, verse 20. Malachi used a similar phrase, Book of Remembrance, in Malachi 3:16, And John uses the same idea five additional times in the book of Revelation in chapter 13, verse 8, in chapter 17, verse 8, in chapter 20, verses 12 and 15, and finally in chapter 21, verse 27. Thank you for joining me for episode 6 of Revelation and Idealist Interpretation. Next time in episode 7, the focus is on the letter to the church at Philadelphia. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode include from the AIC Bible Study video series, New Testament Gospels, from the Gospel of Luke, the discussion of Dayspring from on high, from the Benedictus, or Song of Zacharias, is found in episode 13, and from the Gospel of John, John's interpretation of Jesus as the light that came into the world is found in episode 26 and episode 27. 
from the Christian Education video series, The Great O Antiphons, celebrating the final seven days in Advent. In the episode for December 20th, the key words are O Radix Jesse, or Root of Jesse. In the episode for December 22nd, the key words are O Orions, or Dayspring. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, the Gospel of Luke Annotated and Illustrated, Luke's discussion of the Benedictus Canticle is discussed and illustrated in Chapter 1, with the naming of John the Baptist illustrated on pages 24 and 26. From the Gospel of John annotated and illustrated, John's unique prelude and the concept of Jesus as the light that came into the darkness of the world is discussed and illustrated in chapter 1, including the creation mosaic of Jesus on the first and second day of creation on page 11. In the companion book to this series, Revelation and Idealist Interpretation, presented in 214 pages with 52 illustrations, 51 of them from the 11th century manuscript, the Bamberg Apocalypse, the letters to the churches at Pergamos and Thyatira are discussed and illustrated in chapter 2. In the Acts of the Apostles, annotated and illustrated, presented in 224 pages, with 78 illustrations from the 9th to the 20th century, the place where Lydia, the seller of purple and first Gentile in Europe, was baptized, is illustrated on page 117. In the writing prophets of the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah is quoted in the discussion of Revelation 3, verse 1, is discussed and illustrated in part 2, chapter 1, on pages 13 to 20, with discussion of his prophecy concerning the rod from the stem of Jesse, on pages 16 and 17. The prophet Daniel is discussed and illustrated in part 2, chapter 4, pages 37 to 58, with the prophecy of the Ancient of Days on pages 45 to 46, and the prophecy of the Glorious Man on page 49, and a text box, Theophanies, Images of Christ and God the Father, on page 47. The prophet Zechariah is quoted concerning the white as the symbol of purity, is discussed and illustrated in part 3, chapter 11, pages 105 to 110. And finally, the prophet Malachi, one of the Old Testament sources of the concept of a book of life, is discussed and illustrated in Part 3, Chapter 12, pages 111 to 116. In the prayer book Psalter, History, Text, and Commentary, Psalm 2, a Messianic psalm attributed to David and quoted in Revelation 2, verses 26 and 27, is discussed on pages 3 to 4. Psalm 87, a psalm of David, which was one of the three Old Testament citations mentioning a book of life, is discussed on pages 201 and 202. In Layman's Lexicon, a handbook of scriptural, theological, and liturgical terms, key words of interest for this episode are angels slash archangels, baptism, father, repentance, and son of man.
the key to accessing everything produced by the Anglican Internet Church is available at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net where we've made it easier for you to learn about Christian education, doctrine, worship, and study using your preferred way of learning. You can watch our Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video series using the links on either the digital library or Bible study pages. If you prefer listening, you can listen to the podcast versions of any of our videos using the links on the podcast archive page or to our podcast homilies for all the Sundays in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer using the links on the podcast homilies page. If you prefer written works, you can access any of the 17 AIC bookstore publications, all but one available in both paperback and Kindle editions, using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, or directly using my Amazon Author Central page, https colon right slash right slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. Everything after dot com must be in lowercase letters. I also invite you to subscribe to my blog page at www Anglican Internet Church accessible through the Father Ron's blog tab at the top or the bottom of any page on the site. By clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend, you'll be invited to register your email address and receive notice of all new postings. Please be assured that we do not share subscriber information with any other organization, and you can ask for the removal of your address at any time. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.